Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together, we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday Divine Service. Oftentimes those readings are our main readings for our Wednesday evening service as well. They're part of our video devotions that go out five times a week on YouTube, and they really set the stage not only for our Sunday worship, but for our weekly worship and devotional life. The opportunity to be in God's Word and to examine in more detail is a great blessing. We pray it is is so for you. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. These uh, higher number Sundays after Trinity, once we hit 20, and uh, depending on how far we go, uh, every, every year, every season is a little bit different. Rarely do we get all of the uh, Sundays after Trinity before the last Sunday. But these last Sundays in the church year have a kind of a dual focus as I've pondered them over the last several years. The first focus is the forgiveness of sins. The second focus is the end of the world. And if you put those two together, uh, do not delay, O hearer, because the end of the world is coming. Get your act together. Get right with God, as uh, people dying on the battlefield are often told. Make peace with your maker kind of a thing. And so today, 22nd Sunday after uh, Trinity, is uh, in many respects Forgiveness Sunday. Pastor, your observations on that? Well, yeah, I, I also, just a, a general note about the end of the church year, uh, we also get to look forward to singing that great, uh, the greatest Lutheran hymn ever, uh, Wake Awake for Night is Flying, on the last Sunday of the church year, and uh, um, just uh, look forward to that. And uh, isn't, that, isn't that the hymn that's based off of uh, Rise to Arms with Prayer Employ You? No, I think it's the <laughs> other way around. So. I'm just trying to punch your buttons today. You know that. And uh, that is a great hymn. And uh, on our sister program, At Home in Your Hymnal, we're going to be examining that hymn in one of our upcoming episodes. Uh, we've been looking at Reformation hymns, so uh, check those out. And uh, without further ado, Vicar, Matthew 18, 21 to, tw- 21 to 35. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. 
and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. All right. We have some uh, amazingly harsh words from Jesus at the end of this text. We have a um, beautiful exhortation to forgive our brother prompted by a question from Peter at the beginning of our text. We have a parable that is a pretty familiar parable, not only inside the Christian church, but a uh, pretty familiar parable for all people. And, you know, I'm amazed that the phrase or the, the snippet, Matthew 18, you know, when, when people are talking about forgiveness, when people are talking about reconciliation, bearing a grudge or whatever, confronting someone with sin, it is very standard, not only for Christians, but it is very standard in this world for people to say, well, have you followed Matthew 18? And we're talking about the stages of admonition. You know, if your brother sins against you, go to him one-on-one. If not, doesn't repent, uh, take two or three witnesses. Tell it to the church. Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's what we're, the reference is here. Rarely are they thinking about this particular part of Matthew 18. Pastor, uh, some comments and observations in general on Matthew 18. Yeah, I think it's kind of sad the way that uh, we as a church body have manipulated Matthew 18. Uh, I know it's all been done perhaps with good intentions, and yet we've kind of made it into a, um, I don't know what the right way to say, a political method rather than actually the goal being to forgive people. It's become in our church body even um, uh, emboldened into our Constitution and bylaws. In fact, I'd say the majority of the Lutheran Church Missouri's Constitution and bylaws talk about how we might reconcile with someone. And uh, for Jesus, it's much simpler than that, and that's what's displayed in Matthew 18. And it begins here with this great parable, uh, and uh, we see how important it is that we forgive others as we ourselves are forgiven, just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. The problem, as you said, is oftentimes uh, political. It is emotion-driven rather than God's Word-driven. That old Adam inside of us wants to win. We want to win. We don't want to reconcile. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to forgive. We want to win, and then we want to lord it over people. And uh, God God preserve us from that uh, heinous abuse of God's gift of forgiveness 
and uh, pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, open our ears, our hearts, our lives to what's really going on in this particular text. Uh, Peter comes up to Jesus and asks this question about forgiveness. Uh, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter's being pretty generous when he says uh, seven times. Uh, Vicar, how does does Jesus respond to what Peter thought was a very generous offer? Jesus tells him, you know, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Point being, when your brother comes and asks you for forgiveness, you forgive him. And there's no, there's no counter mark, there's no tally to run out on forgiveness. Well, you know, so often when it comes to forgiveness, people want to keep score. And uh, that keeping score is brought out in our introit very well, uh, Psalm 130. But uh, this whole keeping score thing, is, uh, is Jesus telling us here, that the limit of forgiveness is 490 times, Pastor, and that we should keep a tally board, and as soon as we hit 490, then we're free not to forgive? No, that's not at all uh, what, he's, what he's doing. In fact, I think Peter is trying to approach a gospel question, forgiveness, from a law perspective. Well, how much forgiveness do I actually have to give to fulfill what God wants me to do? And so he, he's asking this question in a, a law way. You know, if I do it seven times, is that enough? Will I get to heaven then? And Jesus gives him this outrageous number of seven times 70 uh, in a way to show the futility of the law for Peter to say, uh, you're forgiving your brother isn't a law that you fulfill to get into heaven. It's not a law that you're even able to fulfill. Um, and yet uh, God still wants you to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive uh, as much as is needed, really, in a sense. And so don't think of it in terms of the law, Jesus is saying, but rather think of it in terms of forgiveness. And in order to illustrate everything that you just beautifully said, Jesus tells a parable. And he ter- tells this parable about a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, that's where our Judgment Day theme comes in, even though all of the readings in some way, shape, or form really tie us into the topic and the gift of forgiveness. The king will settle accounts one day. The king will settle accounts. And uh, for us, we know that on the day we die or the day Christ comes again in power and might and glory. That's it. You know, that's, that's the settling of accounts. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when we use the word talent, it's, uh, you know, like I have the talent to, uh, play the piano. I mean, I don't, but someone might. Uh, I have the talent to paint a picture. I have the talent to sew cross-stitch, you know, whatever. That's the kind of talent we're talking about. Pastor, what is a talent here? And when we were talking about uh, 70 times 7, how does that relate to the 10,000 with regard to the talent. Give us some give us some perspective here, would you please? <clears throat> yeah, well, a talent is um it's not it's ac- actually a uh, coin or anything like that. It's a unit of weight. Uh and so uh when we're talking about talents in terms of money, what we're talking about is a weight of gold or silver. Uh, And so a talent is about 100 pounds. And so when he owes uh, 10,000 talents, 
uh, to his master, the amount gets to be a ridiculously high, non-existent amount of money, more than Julius Caesar uh, would have had, more than Crassus, who would have been a um, the richest man in the world, in the ancient world, uh, who died in uh, a battle at Haran, where Abraham was from. So this would have been a well-known thing. It's more than he had. So the amount of money that this guy owes to his master is more money than anybody on earth had at that time. Impossible to pay. Impossible to pay. Uh, someone once told me that a talent was roughly equivalent to a year's wages. So 10,000 years of wages is is that uh, is that legit or is that um well it's it's hard to to do the math perfectly in that regard again because we don't have all the details are we talking talents of gold talents of silver but just to kind of put it in perspective um the the yearly pay you you got about a denarius a day and so yearly you'd get about 365 denarii the roman soldier would get about 600 sesterci to 900 sesterci which would be a quarter of a, a denarius and so um, we're talking about that number of coins being your yearly pay and then take that idea 365 coins and try to do the math for how much 100 pounds would weigh and then do the math for how much um, 100 pounds times 10,000 pounds would weigh. And that kind of gives you an idea of how ridiculous this is. It is impossible to pay back. That's the bottom line. And when we come back, we're going to see the results, the end of the story with this parable. Don't change that dial. Proclaiming the one. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We're looking at the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. In our first segment, we uh, did an introduction to Matthew 18, and specifically Matthew 18, 21 to 35. We has a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. The servant is brought forward. He owes 10000 Talents, and I think uh, our hymn that we heard coming back, just as I am without one plea. There is absolutely no way if this guy lives a million years, he's not going to be able to pay this back. Am I right, Pastor? That that's about the truth. Especially, I mean, uh, if you do the, you know, if you did it like a mortgage where you have to actually pay interest, the interest payment would be way beyond anybody's living income for a year. Also. So since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children to be sold, and all that he had to be sold, and payment to be made. So the king's cutting his losses. He's going to uh, liquidate the man's assets. He's going to sell the man and his family into slavery, and he's going to uh, basically call it good and be done with it. Uh, was that a common practice, Pastor, at uh, this point in time? 
Uh, it was, and uh, in fact, I think you have to understand the world they live in as well. It's likely that if you're in a place that gets taken over by a foreign enemy, you'll probably become a slave as well. It's a way to recoup your losses um, when you do lose a fund. If you can't pay anything back that you owe a debt, uh, you oftentimes are sold into slavery, and, and uh, that's just the reality of the situation. I think the key word here is that it says, um, I'm, I'm looking here at it again, Payment had to be made, uh, and I think that when we're thinking about it in terms of our sin, that's a real harsh and yet true statement. Payment must be made uh, for our sin, and that's that's the very thing that is uh, being said here. And uh, we need to keep this in mind all the way through this parable, while this parable is talking about a man that owes money. Um, and uh, what he does with regard to this uh, uh, payday lending tag, uh, check that he got. Um, that we're talking here about the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is telling this parable to illustrate for us the forgiveness of sins, what it is, and how it works. So, so your sin is the thing that's so big you'll never be able to pay it back, and uh, even to make a dent in it. And so, payment must be made, and you'll be sold uh, into hell and death. Uh, and that's the to bring it to a. Con- completion a million years in uh, purgatory or hell or whatever it's not gonna it's still not gonna be repaid that's right. the bottom line so the servant fell on his knees imploring him have patience with me and I will pay you everything um, first of all why was that a ridiculous uh, offer and second of all what was the man hoping for pastor well, first off, again, it's ridiculous. He's never going to be able to pay back the amount that he owes. Uh, and yet, at the same time, he's asking for mercy. He's asking for patience. He's asking God not to hold, or, or his master not to hold his feet to the fire in this. And so uh, even the the way that he comes down in the Greek, you know, falling down on his face, the word is worshipped him, uh, saying. And so that's that's exactly what he's doing here. He is showing an act of worship by asking for mercy and forgiveness, and that's the same thing our acts of worship do as well. Vicar, what happens in verse 27 of Matthew 18? The master has pity on him and releases him and forgives the debt. Pity. What are what are we talking about here, Pastor? When we talk about pity, well, um, yeah. How would you define pity? To uh, feel sorry for someone and give them what they do not deserve, and that's in a sense then uh, what is being done in the Greek. The word is a very common word. It's splagna. <coughs> excuse me, splagnizomai, which is that deep moving within your guts. Uh, that compassion word, and that's the word that uh, the Lord of the slave, the wor- the Lord of the the man, uh, has for him. When we when we see a, a commercial on late night TV of uh, starving animals or starving people, uh, we sometimes feel pity, and then we quickly change the channel. The uh, the pity that's here, uh, and especially the, the pity that is true compassion, always, always always moves into some kind of action so it's not just an idea it's not just an emotion but it is action and the action here is and i think this is important too released him and forgave his debt 
What in the world, Pastor, does releasing have to do with forgiving? Well, um, it has, I mean, the word there is very clear, apoluo, which is that release word, which is, in a sense, kind of a, uh, you're no longer a slave or a servant. You're no longer bound by the thing that you owe. Am I talking about the chain, thinking about chains that hold a slave uh, being burst? Is that a a fair way to look at that? Yeah, I think we could use that. I the idea is the thing that was holding you back before is no longer your responsibility. And I think it's key here, too, the word that is used for forgive is the same word that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, fie me. Uh, and so we have both those words being loosed and forgiven together here. In response to that, the request for mercy, that's the very thing the Master does. And uh, the man is released. He is forgiven. Uh, I imagine he is walking on sunshine now. And uh, Vicar, what does the briefly? What does the man do with this forgiveness? He abuses it. He rejects it. He perverts it. He goes out, and when he's out on his walk in sunshine, he sees another servant that owes him a hundred denarii. You know, a, a drop in the well compared to what he owed, and he gets ticked off and says, "Pay me what you owe." and then doesn't forgive his fellow servant and throws him in jail. Pastor, there are some that look at this text and say that this uh, servant who had been forgiven was just being a good steward and that he didn't want to fall back into his uh, former uh, huge debt. How would you respond to that kind of an observation on this parable of Jesus? Well, I'd say, first off, that's um, kind of ridiculous and not actually true to form, right? So it's not as if this man doesn't have things that he owns that he bought with the ridiculous amount of money he borrowed. Uh, He does, and so he's still doing just fine well off, and uh, uh, the way that he treats the person is really the key here. Uh, Where he was forgiven uh, and doesn't owe anymore and now has all the things for free, he's holding a small amount against his neighbor who... um, can't pay back the amount that is owed to him. And so it really is an exposition of the words we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This man is not doing that. And I think I think you hit on the absolute key to what Jesus is teaching here. The man had been forgiven an astronomical amount, and now he refuses to forgive a tiny little bit. Isn't that a perfect description of how human beings, of how most Christians act? We have been forgiven. Our names are written in the book of life. Jesus' blood covers over our sins. We've been forgiven all of our sin, and then we want to hold tiny little grudges. We want to hold sin over our spouse, over our kids, over our coworkers. Isn't that precisely what Jesus is trying to open our eyes and our hearts to right here, Pastor? Absolutely, and and we all are guilty of this, and we all need to repent of this, and that's why Christ tells us this parable. Now, at the end, uh, when when the king, the master, has this reported back to him, uh, he has a pretty dramatic response. Vicar, what does the king do? He says to him, you know, I forgave you all that debt because you plead with me, you wicked servant. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, he delivers him into the, into the jail. 
Uh, Pastor, we could talk about how this parable here is a clear teaching that it is possible to lose your faith or to fall from Christianity, and I know that's how this text has been preached by many of the Lutheran fathers. Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What is the exhortation that Jesus is giving to us? I mean, his hearers then, of course, but to us right here and now with regard to forgiveness. Uh, that we should forgive. What, why do we need that exhortation? Because we don't want to forgive. You're being a stinker now. Give me, it's give me, true, right? We well, don't I want mean, to it, forgive. It uh, is that. It is that simple, and um, you know we have two minutes left on this segment. So, <laughs> uh, so there you have it. Well, when um, somebody think about it in a marriage, right? Uh, you see it all the time, where uh, you know there might have been a conflict over something dumb in the past, like socks left on the back of a couch, right? And then when later on there's a conflict about uh, toothpaste that uh, is stuck to the cap of the toothpaste tube, uh, the fight oftentimes goes like this. Uh, you know, you left toothpaste on the toothpaste tube. Oh, yeah, well, you left your socks on the back of the couch. And we bring up all these things from the past that don't mean anything and are worthless, and we use them to hurt or harm the people in our lives uh, so that we can feel better about ourselves and, and know that we're better than them, rather than just letting them be forgiven. And that's the thing that all of us struggle with. And that's not the way God wants us to deal with each other, because it's not the way he deals with us. Let's talk about something uh, a little bit more significant than socks and toothpaste. Let's say a spouse has just had... Just an example I could come up with off the top of my head. No, no, no. And I know your examples are often autobiographical, too. So Well, that one's not. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, Putting the socks inside out in the uh, clothing. You've taught. You've told that one many times. Yeah. So I know that one's autobiographical. Autobiographical. What about something big? A spouse has had an affair, and uh, you know they they wrestle through the hurt, the betrayal, and uh, they stay together. One forgives the other, and yet the next time there's a problem, the first thing that is said is, "Hey, you cheated on me." Um, how how is that contrary to what Jesus says about forgiving from the heart? Well, just to, to bring it down to brass tacks here, what it ultimately is is denial that Jesus bled and died to forgive every sin. And that's the problem, right? When I don't forgive my neighbor the little thing, I'm saying, I don't think Jesus died for that. And that's more a confession of my faith than it is of the sin of the other person. Because we have no problem actually acknowledging that everybody sins. We say that very clearly in Scripture. And I know that about Pastor Poppy. I know it about Vicar Steele. I know it about myself. I know it about all the other people. But when I say, you did this to me, I'm saying it's not something Christ died for. And that's a denial of the Trinity, of Jesus, of the atonement, of justification by grace through faith, all the main doctrines that are uh, fundamental in our Christian faith. It rips the heart out of justification. It tears Jesus off the cross and makes his blood of no avail. So my friends, no, your sins are forgiven. And as Christ has forgiven you, 
God exhorts you and me, forgive from the heart. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're going to take a look at our Old Testament reading from Micah chapter 6. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. Please join us for worship. We gather every Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Bible study, family-style Bible study for all ages at 930. We also worship year-round on Wednesday evenings. 6.30. Please join us. All of our worship services are broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 right here in Lincoln. You can check us out on our website, thecross957.org, our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. You can follow us on YouTube where we have uh, sermons, Bible studies, and daily devotions, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media, and you can also listen to a variety of podcasts, KNNA Theological Programming, Pastor Poppy Sermons. What's the name of your website, Pastor? I always forget. Well, it's uh, words from the Book of Concord, so I understand how you could forget. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> with intrepid with, heart sermons. That's how the Book of Concord closes. I always want to say with intrepid voice, and when I type that in, I don't get your sermon. So with intrepid heart. Just giving you a hard time here. So yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Go eat your sardines. Um, we want to look at our Old Testament reading now. Um it's a long story. We'll devote a whole topic to sardines at some point in time. Uh, we're looking at the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. The Old Testament reading, Micah 6, 6 to 8. Vicar? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, here we have Micah 6, 6 to 8. We're talking about the... um forgiveness of sins in all of our readings for today that's really the the theme for trinity 22 and in uh verse 7 uh we're talking about the um transgression the sin of my soul and what does it take uh to get rid of it uh with what Shall I come before the Lord? Before we get into these uh, words of Micah 6, Pastor, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on at the time of the prophet Micah, uh, where we are 
biblical chronology. Mike is one of the minor prophets, which means uh, not that he's less important than the major prophets, but the minor prophets wrote less. And so those books are a little bit smaller. Uh, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, wrote more. So uh, what's going on in Micah? Well, essentially, um, you know, the minor prophets kind of, uh, they cover a large period of time, but generally speaking, it is uh, to do with the collapse and fall of the uh, the uh, kingdom of Israel and then the time afterwards. And <clears throat> the prophet Micah, he's one of those that is towards the end of that uh, kingdom. Uh, he is, uh, I believe, during the reign of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And you remember Hezekiah is kind of an important king who kind of restores some of that uh, worship that's properly done because during the, the reigns of Jotham and Ahaz, uh, there's a Baal uh, altar in the temple precincts, and there is false worship going on, and uh, so much so that they kind of lose track of the true God. And so that kind of gives you a, a time frame. It's towards the end of the kingdom of Israel, um, and uh, the, the other minor prophets then also can be during the time where they are actually not their own kingdom anymore. And while that time frame is a long, long time ago, the condition is exactly the same. We come before the Lord, and we want to know, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to get rid of my sin? What's it going to take to get rid of my guilt? What's it going to get, take to get rid of my shame? What's it going to take to settle my account? What's it going to take for me to get right with God? And that's the uh, question here, with what shall I come before the Lord? Uh, burnt offerings, calves, a year old. Um, a year old calf means you've already fed and cared for that calf for a year. You've got a lot invested, and it is more valuable than a newborn. Uh, will the Lord be pleased with 10,000 rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn the fruit of my body? Pastor, is this a is this a negotiation going back here, or is there something bigger that Micah is writing about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. No, this is not an actual negotiation. God doesn't negotiate. He, God already has told him how he's going to take care of sin uh, all the way back at Adam and Eve, with, again with Abraham, uh, even with David himself. And so these are rhetorical questions because these are the questions people oftentimes think. Can I give some of my wealth? Can I sacrifice my firstborn? Which is something that happened um, close to the time when um, Micah is writing, in fact, happened in the um, the valley of the shadow of death to the uh, uh, south, uh, make sure you get my directions right, southeast side of Jerusalem, even there was child sacrifices to Baal. Um, and, and so when he's asking these questions, he's saying, are there any things that you can do to please God so that you will be saved? And of course, the answer is no. It's ironic then that he asks about firstborn sons because the solution that God actually has to forgive sins is God's firstborn son, Jesus Christ, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is actually going to pay the price for all sins. And so there's irony there, and yet uh, I don't know that... Um, 
we should actually think these are actual negotiations between Micah and God. Okay, thank you. Well stated. Now, the answer to the rhetorical questions is not specifically to wait for the Messiah, to believe in the suffering servant. The answer specifically is not a direct reference to the cross and empty tomb, or is it? Vicar, do you want to read verse 8 again? And then I want Pastor Moline to explain that answer from God with regard to, with what shall I come before the Lord? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Pastor, that sounds an awful lot like works righteousness to me. Help me sort this out, would you please? Um, No, I don't think it's work righteousness at all. It's the result of faith, right? And I think the key there is God told you uh, already what is good, O man. Uh, In other words, listen to what God says. Read his word, study his word, be in his word, uh, trust his word. Uh, And that's where then we go back to the Old Testament and we say, okay, what did God say? Well, he told Adam and Eve, you know, um, Satan's head will be crushed by one of your offspring. He told that again uh, to Abraham, through one of your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He tells it to Jacob. He tells it to David. He tells it to Solomon. Uh, He keeps reminding the people of that through the prophets, that there's going to be a Savior. Think of Isaiah, right, Um, where uh, by his wounds we are healed. So God has already told you these things, and if you know God's word, you understand that. And now, as a result, what does God require of you? Well, to do justice, to love kindness, in other words, to trust that the word is true and to do what it says to the best of your ability. And then the last part, walk humbly uh, before your God or with your God. What does it mean to be humble? It's to acknowledge that he's the one that's in charge and that you're not so hot yourself. You're not as great as you think you are. Uh, and, And I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. Lots of times people are not humble. They think they're hot stuff. They don't listen to criticism. They don't listen to Uh, God's word, um, and they think that they know better than that. They don't take that constructive criticism and say, is there any truth to that? Am I actually struggling in the way this person has said to me? And that's a problem. That's going against God and his word. But if we are humble and we say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, have mercy upon me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what God desires. That was a long rambling answer. No, no, no. And it was a good answer. And, uh, Uh, You can only do these things uh, in faith. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. You can only do these things as a fruit of faith. And faith is not generic. Faith has an object. And the object is the bloody death and glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Is it worth pointing out here as well that in chapter 5, which is right before this, uh, Micah talks about the ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem. And again, he already knows, you already know what he's saying because you've already read it in the chapter right before. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's where the uh, that's where the Christmas carol comes from. If uh uh, Micah chapter 5, and so the uh, prophecy of the 
Messiah, the Savior, the Christ is right there, and this flows right after. The forgiveness of sins is in Jesus. The forgiveness of sins is only in Jesus. There's nothing that you can do, pay, pray, or obey to earn the forgiveness of sins. It is a gift, pure gift, won by Jesus, and then he doesn't negotiate. He freely offers it. We cling to it by grace through faith, and then in that faith, we, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we respond as God would have us respond. We, uh, we love justice, we love kindness, and we are truly humbling ourselves before others, but most importantly, before the Word of God. In the time that we have left, Pastor, how does doing justice show itself or manifest itself on Calvary's cross? Well, uh, on Calvary's cross, we see justice very clearly because justice means that sinners get punishment. They get what they have coming to them. They get what they deserve. And uh, it's crazy on Calvary because Jesus gets what we deserve. All the things that we've done wrong are placed on him. It's the uh, great exchange. Uh, it's the whole idea behind the, the book of Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. I think I talk about that a lot because it does such a good job. Someone takes our place in punishment uh, and gets killed for the things that we've done wrong, and yet the things are still paid for. And that's the beauty of the atonement in Christ. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One, 22nd Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we'll look at Philippians 1, 3 to 11. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Looking at the readings for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity, in segments 1 and 2, we looked at our gospel reading from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. In our third segment, we looked at the Old Testament reading, Micah 6, 6 to 8. And in uh, our final segment, we're going to be looking at our epistle reading, a practical application of everything that we've heard, a practical application of the forgiveness of sins. Philippians 1, 3 to 11. Vicar? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all my making prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You know, Pastor, we have uh, we have Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pouring out his heart here, in uh, by far the most joy-filled epistle of them all, his letter to the Philippian Christians. And I can't help but think, and I was thinking again as Vicar was reading those words, about how much of this is missing in the church now when we have so many people separated. We have people separated, just like Paul is separated, and we have Paul yearning to be with them, yearning for that fellowship, yearning for that that relationship that you can only have with brothers and sisters in Christ. That kind of a yearning and that kind of a relationship. I get a kick out of the ESV. Uh, the ESV is always um, translating things uh, in a Texan way. You got y'all, y'all here, y'all there. Uh, but... Um, there's, there is joy and heartache and yearning because Paul's in prison and he's writing to the Philippians and there is something missing with regard to, I mean, you want to talk about the ultimate social distancing. There's something missing here with that fellowship and personal connectedness that God designs in his church. you have any thoughts or observations on that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think we are the body of Christ. We need to do well uh, to remember that and to participate in that. And I think one of the things that's happened lately is as a result of the pandemic, the political uh, furor that's going on, um, we are kind of being divided. And I think that is, of course, the work of Satan in these worldly events to divide the body of Christ. And we ought to remember the thing that is uh, uniting us, and that is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, the promise of eternal life, and the peace that comes from a God that passes all understanding. And if we can be united again in Christ, all the rest of the differences fall away. And you'll notice that's what the politicians all try to do, and, and the world tries to do, is to divide us up into small groups um, against each other. Christ is the one thing that actually can overcome all those differences and make us one again. Isn't it amazing how, how Satan has worked so hard to make people afraid to come to God's house? People are afraid to embrace their brother or sister in Christ. And uh, it all happened overnight. It all happened overnight. How quickly, how quickly Satan can accomplish his work and uh, we we take that for granted. We uh, we we are oblivious to what's really going on in our world. Um, Pastor, uh, let's get into some of the details from Philippians chapter one. Um, he thanks God. He remembers uh, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And then in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel, and then that point is emphasized again in verse 7, for you are all partakers with me of grace. What is this 
partnership, this joint partaking that Paul is uh, referencing? Well, um, it, it is a financial support uh, thank you that he's giving them. Um, they have supported his missionary work. Perhaps they're also supporting him as he uh, is getting ready to return to Jerusalem, uh, which was dealing with a famine at that time. And so they had taken up a collection to help and support the church in Jerusalem, uh, which was an important city because it's where Christ was crucified, of course. Uh, and so in all these things, the people of Philippi are supporting him. And we have to remember um, the first person that he meets in Philippi that becomes a Christian is the woman Lydia, the first LWML later, le, le, lady, there's the word, the first LWML lady uh, who made her living by selling purple cloth, which is the most expensive cloth that there was in the Roman Empire and uh, very time consuming to make. She's a wealthy woman, and so she helps to support the church greatly with the gifts that God has given her, and Paul has taken advantage of that, not in a negative way, but uh, he's used those gifts to help preach the gospel wherever he could. Very good. Vicar, in verse 6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you... um, who is the he, and what is the good work that he is uh, referencing? And I'll give you a hint. The good work is not the financial contribution that Paul, that uh, Pastor Moline just talked about. He's talking about something bigger. Well, the he is God, and I, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, he who began the good work, and the good work is salvation, your justification, your sanctification, the life of a Christian looking forward to that final day where sin will be no more and we will be perfect like Jesus is perfect. Good. Uh, Pastor, now let's finish that verse. Uh, who, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, first of all, what is the day of completion that Paul is talking about here? And how does this verse teach us, part two, that a Christian can fall from faith? Well, uh, the the good work that God has begun is the work of faith that trusts in the promises of God. And the day of completion for that would be, uh, first and foremost, the day that we leave this world by death, uh, when spiritually speaking, our souls will be with God in heaven forever. Uh, but then we have also the day of completion of this world when Christ will return from heaven and bring this world to its end and raise forth all the people who have died and put them back together body and soul and take us who believe in him to eternal life bodily with him forever in heaven. And so that's the day of completion in that same sense, then, you talked about, is it possible for Christians to fall away? Perhaps you're becoming Calvinist. You've asked about that a lot today. <laughs> Just uh, give me a, a hard time. It's a um, long-standing controversy in the Lutheran churches in our circuit. That's uh, why I keep yes. bringing it up. Well, so the, the truth is, yes, you can fall away from the faith. And so that's why we look forward in faith to the day of completion, at which point uh, when we're finally saved in the sense that we've died and been resurrected, we will no longer be able to fall from the faith, but instead it will be complete for us, uh, the sense that we are saved then. Yes, and you know, whenever we see these stand firm till the end, that implies that it's possible you 
you might fall before Correct. the end. Uh, bring it to completion, um, that it may fall short of completion. And when I hear that word completion, I always think of Good Friday because it is complete. It is finished in Christ Jesus, and now uh, we need to finish the race, another metaphor that Paul uses. Yeah, uh, I, I don't disagree with that um, in the sense that uh, the the Lord operates outside of time and space, and so the completion is one on Calvary, and that's absolutely true. And yet for us, we realize and um, receive its full completion when we enter into God's eternal kingdom and when we leave this world of sin and sorrow. Amen, amen, amen. Vicar, uh, what is Paul praying for? Uh, in verses 9 and following for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's praying that their love for each other would grow more and more and that they would have knowledge and discernment in understanding one each other and how to treat one another in love so that what they do, what they approve of, is excellent and good and that they might be pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Pastor, can we say that that's exactly the same prayer that uh, Paul has uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for every Christian in every time and place? Absolutely, and I think an important part of it is then that we are in the true word and that we're actually receiving true doctrine and true faith uh, through that. And so that discernment then, we need to have that to acknowledge that the things we're hearing in church are the actual truth according to the scriptures, and if they're not, to find a place or a way that we are getting the actual truth so that we don't lose sight of Jesus, which is the object of that faith, uh, and so we need to keep that in mind always also. I think that's important to note because in this day and age where a lot of people are cooped up, a lot of people are relying on YouTube church, uh, there's a lot of false voices that are out there, folks, and we need easily to be accessible. easily accessible. We we need to be very, very discerning with regard to what does God say and the truth of God's word. Vicar, would you bring things to a close, 22nd Sunday after Trinity, by praying the collect of the day. Let us pray. O God, our refuge and strength, the author of all godliness, hear the devout prayers of your church, especially in times of persecution, and grant that what we ask in faith we may obtain. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 When you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your paper, please pray for your pastors, and uh, most of all, go to church. For Vicar Steele, Pastor Moline, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One, God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you next week.